Accuracy is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security. Security workforce management software reimagined. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the ASIO Security Insider podcast. And our guest today is Dr. Gavril Schneider. CEO at Risk2 Solution Group, creator of Resilience Approach, certified Chief Risk Officer, ANZ Chair of the Institute of Strategic Risk Management and one of the senior researchers at the Australian Security Research Centre. Gav was also one of the uh, primary authors of the Security 2025 report, which he will be reporting on this year at the ASIO conference. Gav, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Now, Gav, uh, we've uh, we've had almost a year under our belt since the Security 2025 report came out. We've had floods, we've had fires, we've had COVID, we've had monkey butt virus, we've got face-eating hornets on the way, uh, pretty much every volatile and uncertain situation you can possibly imagine. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans and uh, that you've worked out what's happening over the next 12 months. But what have we learned in the last 12 months since the report came out? I think a few things, John. Uh, fundamentally, from my perspective, and I'll take the research perspective first, things move very quickly. And while we did our very best to ensure that our research was forward looking, not just backwards looking, you know, none of us have got uh, a looking glass and can forecast the future with absolute certainty. So I think many of the findings of the study have stood up and proven to be exceptionally valid things like the the need for our sector to be focusing more on cybersecurity risk, increasing trends of antisocial behavior, you know, those sort of things are all playing out around us on a continual basis. Uh, Some of the forecast trends around improvements and increase in technology, you know, we've slowly seen some of that happen, but I think what's interesting is we did have a section in the report around why Australia is slow to adopt and slower to move than other places. And I think that certainly has proven itself to be true over the last year. We're coming out of COVID, we could have embraced new technologies, and we probably haven't quite as well. Uh, We have seen good things. We've seen some of our regulators start taking action and start recognizing licenses from other states and moving things in the right direction. We'll talk a little bit more at the conference around regulator responsibility and how some of those things probably need to change further primarily because of the labor shortage that we're seeing dominate our entire economy at this stage, not just the security sector. But I think it's fair to say that the security sector, if we're talking about guarding, it's really hard to recruit. If we're talking about technicians and the electronic security side of it, it's equally hard. So I think it's an important piece that if we're not going to become more agile and business centric in the way we regulate, and motivate people to join our industry, we're going to struggle to keep up with demand. Yeah. And and I think, you know, if we look at the national security picture, that's got far bigger consequences for us than simply not making enough profit. Yeah, well, I mean, with the uh, the saber rattling that's going on out of China at the moment and the uh, the war that's occurred in the Ukraine, it it would seem like you know, trying to predict with any level of certainty what may happen over the next five years. Your report may as well be titled "Hold My Beer, Watch This," um, because it's it 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 seems more like a circus trick than any sort of uh, act of certainty. But ha- have you? Has there been anything that's come out of the last twelve months that you 
you weren't expecting that wasn't picked up in the report? I mean, what sort of impact has the, the conflict in the Ukraine had? So it, it wasn't necessarily factored into the report, the conflict in the Ukraine, but there were aspects within the report around emerging trends and considerations that, you know, included things like cyber threat, terrorism, the need to upskill and cross-skill and a focus on digitization. Yeah. And all of those are still current. And if we look at the war in Ukraine, from a security perspective, uh, you know, it hasn't had a significant impact directly in Australia if we look at domestic security yet. And, and yep. you know, to your point around not being able to predict the future, yep. uh, you know, I, I did think at some point we were probably going to get more protests and those sort of actions around what's going on in Ukraine, which we haven't. Doesn't mean we won't yet. But uh, for the most part, if we look at some of those key trends or key considerations, uh, you know, definitely the war in Ukraine showed us just how intense the state actor cyber threat can be and yeah. how the game has shifted. And, yeah. you know, us as a security industry, we, we, need, we need to get involved because it doesn't help that we maybe protect the assets. We might protect physical infrastructure. We might even be managing things like access control and looking after people. But more and more, particularly with the work from home trend not having changed yet, you know, the, the need for us to be able to secure virtual interactions and understand how they work is really important. Um, so, so much so, I guess one of my big takeaways on a personal note was after we published the uh, Security 2025 report, I went back to uni and yep. I just finished a year studying cybersecurity. Okay. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things that the research was impactful enough for me to actually go, I don't just want to talk about it, I better do something. Yeah. Um, and, and we've also launched some cyber offerings through my business too, which, you know, we're a direct outcome of information collected during that report and the findings that came out of it. Yeah. And I suppose if we were to draw a parallel with what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia at the moment and its impact on a potential security situation here in Australia, I guess anytime you see um, international financial sanctions leveled at a country on the scale that we're seeing in Russia at the moment, there's going to be a desperation both amongst organized crime gangs and other elements to try and raise money in any way that they possibly can which is then I imagine, and you would have a better clue about this than I would, but I would imagine that's going to give rise to uh, all sorts of different kinds of fraud, cyber attacks, uh, attempts at espionage in any way that they can potentially make money. Uh, couldn't agree more. And I think what we have seen, and COVID definitely showed this through uh, the sophistication of criminal syndicates in adaption, and many criminal syndicates jumped on the cybercrime bandwagon. Yeah. And, you know, that genie's out of the bottle there. That's not going to go back. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think to your point, though, uh, it, it's not just one variable. So it's not just the war in Ukraine. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I would probably say what's affecting our industry more so is, you know, the labor shortage and lack of confidence in our sector to be able to man up, excuse the pun. Yeah. Uh, in terms of being able to meet requirements. And there are positives and negatives out of that. I mean, we've seen some really good case examples of clients working with providers now because they accept the fact that this is a problem. Uh, on, on the other hand, we're still seeing challenges with you know, uh, wage inequality, people not paying award rates. Uh, those sort of things haven't necessarily improved that much when you, when you kind of listen to 
the rumor mill. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there's also been a few other things that, you know, the report, for example, mentioned aspects like the, the universal trend towards making sure social responsibility is part of the way we work and that sustainability is incorporated. You know, we have now seen, you know, environmental sustainability and governance requirements from a reporting perspective roll out through ASX listed companies, yeah. which, you know, will filter down to our industry. So in some ways, I'm really happy because it's validating what the research said. But I, I, I do think, you know, once again, our industry is probably not moving quick enough. Yeah, I, I think, well, uh, I mean, one of your fellow presenters, Dr. Katrina Wallace, who's presenting on AI, would definitely agree with you about Australia being a bit of a laggard as far as the adoption of technology is concerned. Um, but one of the things you touched on, the labour shortage, I mean, that seems to be a real issue on the back of coming out of COVID and trying to find people to actually fill some of the the positions that were left open in the live entertainment and sporting areas. I know a couple of the stadiums that I've spoken to have said they've had to significantly consider the idea of putting in crowd caps uh, and crowd capacities because they just can't stand up enough people to effectively and safely manage the security and potential evacuation of stadiums in the event of an issue. But again, that creates opportunities. I mean, talking about driving adoption of technology, do you see some of these shortfalls as creating drivers for looking at different ways to do things rather than just falling back on the same old, same old model of stuffed shirts standing around? I mean, I use that term loosely. I don't mean it literally, but, you know, uh, you know, people in uniform standing around performing a role when we could find technological solutions. So... You know, once again, referring back to the report, there, there were, I think we were about five points of why Australia is slow to adopt compared to other places. One of those points is our fixation and focus on human labour as a driver. Uh, I think there's two or three variables. Uh, as any rounded security professional knows, it's not one security treatment that solves a problem. It's a layering approach and an integrated approach. So I think the concept of trying to replace manpower with technology is the wrong approach. We should be looking at how we build layers of redundancy in play. Yep. And we should be smarter in the way we do that. So a few examples, and these are things I'll explore in more detail with my session at the conference. But this is the time for regulators to actually understand what is going on in the market. And we don't see that happening. Right. Uh, you know, th th things like... Uh, the need for people who've had their licenses lapse to go and do training again from scratch to get their licenses. Yeah. Uh, it's actually not, you know, there's nothing like that written in the AQTF from a training perspective that says you have to go and redo this qualification from scratch. Yeah. Technically you should be able to just demonstrate competency, which could only maybe take you a day as opposed to doing all the training again. So I think we're seeing compliance for compliance sake. Yep. I also think we're not accepting the skills shortage challenge and that it's not going to come right in the next couple of years, at least. Might take longer even. Yeah. So if we look at things like the Olympics coming and some of these major events, if we look at the challenges we're facing from a national security perspective, we've got to be smarter. You know, in some of the moves where we've made that we've made, for example, not allowing people on student visas to get security licenses, we've instantly eliminated an entire pool of more educated players who may want to work in the industry on the part in their in their part-time structures. The barriers to entry for groups like that are so high. You know, they, they, why would they come and do a three-week course? Why would they pay all this money 
when they could earn more money, you know, serving drinks at a bar. Yep. So I think we've got to be smarter in the way we do this stuff. And, you know, one of the key findings of the report was the need to engage better public-private partnerships. Yep. And this is the time where the industry, the regulators, the clients, and those were the three main groups we identified required that, that were required to action things. We need to get on the same page to solve problems, not pretend these problems aren't going on around us. Yep. Well, I, I believe we have, speaking at the conference, because I'm going to be interviewing him in the next few days, uh, Hamish Hansford from the Department of Home Affairs for the Australian Government. Do we need to just, he's speaking fairly early on day one, do we need to just gaffer tape him to his chair for the rest of the conference so that he can actually hear some of this stuff and uh, perhaps have an ally in the Australian Government who understands the nature of what's going on and starts taking things seriously? Uh, I have a lot of respect for Hamish. He's got a pretty big job. Yep. In terms of rolling out the security of critical infrastructure amendments and positive reporting requirements. But in Hamish's defense, uh, protective security from a government perspective has now gone back to the attorney generals and is not a home affairs problem anymore. Um, so realistically, we'd be lobbing the wrong guy. Well, hey, um, if you're listening to this, I'm waylaying you for the wrong reasons, then I apologize. <laughs> but but your point is critical. And I think, you know. A vision of a unified Australia with a unified regulatory structure shouldn't be abandoned just because it's hard. Yeah. But in the interim, you know, these things are state-based and we need to see, you know, more progressive action like we've seen out of South Australia and some of the other more progressive thinking regulators to actually go, we're not ignoring these problems. And while it might require us to change the way we enforce regulation, because very little of that would require amendment to regulatory acts and legislation. It's around the way those are enforced. We, we need to just get smarter. And we yeah. need to actually look at, are we actually making the industry safer? Okay, are we actually equipping the industry to present and provide the services that are required? Are our people paid accordingly to what they should be paid? And overall, if we want to look at the big picture of this stuff, are we contributing to the continuity of our economy and our national security. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I would put that as a challenge to almost any of our regulators to go, if you're not thinking of it that way and you're just going, we want to catch out the one or two shonky providers. Yeah. You, you are not only a year out of date, you're 10 years out of date. And to be honest, that is part of the problem. Okay. So if I'm a security manager within a large corporate or I run my own security business, or even if I work within the government realm for uh, a department in a security role, what am I going to get out of your presentation? So I think there's many things that will come out of it, but I'm hoping a bit of a refresh on the research and the relevance of the research to people in those roles. So if you are a security manager, whether you work for government or private, there were some key trends we identified that are crucial for us to be able to move forward and cope with what's going on around us. Yeah. I know from my own business that referencing some of those points have helped us develop a new strategy. And while COVID was tough for our business, we've come out exceptionally strong and are managing growth now as opposed to survival. Yep. So, you know, I, th I think part of the challenge is the old mindset of I'm compliant and I don't have to move or be innovative in what I do is the biggest vulnerability we face. Yeah. And if you are a security manager 
for government or private sector, help us manage the risk of the uneducated buyer. Okay, get educated, know what you need from a risk-based perspective, know what you should expect from your service providers and hold them to account. And from a, a provider perspective, we should be holding to account our, our clients, the people buying from us. And, you know, it was one of those concepts we raised numerous times. I think we, me and you went off on a tangent in our last interview on this one. <laughs> but, you know, realistically, if regulators aren't going to enforce reports that come in of dubious or dodgy behavior, and if stakeholders within the industry are not going to report dodgy behavior, we're not going to move forward. Yeah. So we, we've the responsibility is on all of us. What, what I want to do in my session is refresh, provide an update, and give our management level representatives some of the tools that can help them do better, make better decisions, and move forward in what is certainly a challenging time. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And, you know, you touched on an interesting point a minute ago, which was, you know, helping the uneducated buyer better understand what it is that they need to be doing and, and should be doing. This seems to me a critical piece of the puzzle because like everything, and I've used this analogy over and over and over again in a variety of situations, you know, when I go to Bunnings to buy a drill, I don't necessarily want to drill. I want a hole in the wall. Um, and it's up to the person I'm working with to help me understand what kind of hole I need and how big it needs to be and what it's got to accommodate. And, you know, do I want to be able to put in a marble or drive a truck through it or, or whatever it may be? And this is, I guess, the, the security provider when it comes to security. You know, the client comes to you and says, I want a security system that does this or I want guards that do that. And the question has to be, well, do you really? Is that actually What's going to solve your problem? Is that correct? Couldn't agree with you more. And I think the challenge we've got with the focus on technology now is technology without people doesn't work, but we've now got a people shortage. Yeah. So we've, we've really got to be smart in what we do and how we tackle these challenges. And the old set and forget mentality of, hey, I did a cert for deployment in security 15 years ago and you know I was in the army or the police, therefore I'm a security expert. It, <laughs> it just doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah. We've got to keep evolving, growing, sharing knowledge and tackling what's happening now as well as forecasting what's going to happen in the future and trying to be ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Gav is going to be presenting on day one of the Asia Security Conference. His session is at 2 p.m. and it's called Building Security Capability uh, and Capacity. Again, he will be going through the uh, ASIAL Security 2025 report and some of the really important findings that have come out of that over the last 12 months. Gav, thank you once again for your time. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. And for those who listen to this, Look forward to seeing you at the conference and digging into some of these subjects in a bit more depth. Excellent. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like more like it, you can find them on the ASIAL website at www.asial.com.au. If you would like to know more about the Security Expo, you can visit www.securityexpo.com.au. And you can download this podcast and others from Blurberry, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and all the great places that we find podcasts. Until next time, have a great week. Bye. 
Security is proud to be a supporter of ASIO's podcast series. With insightful presenters and expansive subjects, the podcast series is a must if you want to keep at the forefront of the industry. Security. Security Workforce Management Software Reimagined.